Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 here this morning. I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture that has probably meant more to me than almost any passage in the Word of God, and we all have special places that we go to and that have been a blessing to us, and this morning I want to do that here with you. Have you ever struggled in life thinking that God doesn't care or maybe that he, what he's doing isn't fair? Now, you may not have ever said that out loud. Maybe you have, but you've thought it, I'm sure. In a moment when it seemed like everything that you were facing was just crushing and, and so many others weren't facing anything like that at all. And You know, the trials that God's allowed me to be through in my own life are so small compared to what so many others have faced. Of course, when I grew up, uh, we faced a trial as a family of what my brother went through, uh, not just the brain tumor, which happened actually while I was in the womb, but uh, the effects after that, just of all that uh, my brother had to face and um, the journey he went through throughout his life, and God still taking him on a, a journey. I'm so thankful for what God's done in his life. It's such a blessing. But I can remember there were some hard times there and some dark times and and then, honestly, my wife and I were talking for several years ago and said, no, we have, I think it was at the time we had seven, seven children. And we said, man, you know, it's, it's amazing. We've not actually faced really anything too hard with our kids. You know, Emma was born with a club foot, and that was not really that, that challenging. It was hard. Don't get me wrong. It was hard for her. I felt so bad for her as a little baby. If any of your children are ever born with a club foot, it's not a fun process. Any, any, anybody have a family member that had that? Okay, see, it's pretty rare, isn't it? And uh, little Emma, when she came out of the womb, they had not discovered it on the ultrasound, but her foot was this, was this far. I mean, it was, I was like, whoa. And uh, I, I saw it right away, the doctor did, and you could tell he kind of went, whoa, he hadn't seen it. And, and then I told my wife, I remember at that moment thinking, wow, this is quite a trial, you know, and it, it was. It was hard for the poor little thing. Every two or three days, we'd go to the children's hospital, and we would, she'd have to have a cast on her, and then they would, you know, have that little, um, I'm sure some of you broke your arm before, but like, you know, they cut it off, right? Every three days, she's going through that. Well, that's no big deal. They take it off, but then they, they move her foot a little bit, and then they cast her back up again, and there's that pain that she would face, you know, and I didn't like seeing that. I didn't enjoy that as all as a dad. She was patient. She was sweet. A lot of her personality is now. She probably, the Lord allowed her to develop that just through the patience she had to learn, but I remember we had talked about that. He said, we went through that, and that wasn't easy, you know, when your child is locked up every day in a brace, um, and both her feet are locked up, and she's trying to sleep at night, and she's whipping that thing around. Uh, trying to get comfortable, and so you're sleeping, you know, you're waking up constantly. Thank the Lord, Paul was, uh, at the same time, was, uh, had been, was born, right, when she was going through all that uncomfortable night sleeping, and uh, Paul, the Lord gave us mercy, and he had five months in a row of never getting up at night. Seven, we put him down, seven, and he'd get up in the morning, every day. I literally would go in there and say, Paul, are you an angel? Like, are you, are you know? And, uh, so... Not that he'll listen to this message in the future, who knows, but uh, not quite kept all the angelic tendencies since. <laughs> but honestly, he never got sick. It was five months of perfection at night. I mean, but on the other hand, we were still getting up almost every, every night for Emma, and at times we would just have to take the brace off just to give her relief. 
I thought, well, that's still not much. And it wasn't, honestly. All you have to do is go to Children's Hospital every two or three days and rub shoulders with kids that have no hair because of chemotherapy. Kids that are, are dying. And you realize you have nothing, right? Well, many of you know the story, but for me, this was a big deal because I had never faced it before myself. It's one thing to have your parents face it, even grow up in a home that faces it, but the potential of even the scare of cancer is, with a child is never fun. And it wasn't a long scare, but it was enough of a scare to get my attention. And I remember it was the missions conference of 2018. And we were, as a family, having two things going on. Number one, trying to get ready for that. Number two, we were moving. And we are moving from Milwaukee to the home I'm in now in Menominee Falls. And I remember... I didn't know that you could have so many things that you could stuff into a little 1,100-square-foot house. But when you have seven kids, it was kind of, we had two full U-Haul trucks go over there. I was embarrassed. I said, how did we do this, Jill? She said, I don't know. It was, our house was organized. My wife was extremely organized, but we just had stuffed things in more places than we knew, you know? And, and so that was a huge process. But through that whole time, we were noticing, starting that summer, that we were noticing our sweet little Emma was... Um, was walking more, uh, limp. she was limping more and having more struggles with that. So we took her to physical therapy and we're taking her to the um, ones that they would have at some of the children's clinics there. And uh, I didn't know what they were doing. It was almost like all games. I didn't get any, uh, I was trying to get the value of it. But we were taking her, not much improvement, didn't know what was going on. So we took her back to her orthopedic doctor saying, well, maybe the, the issue is her club foot's coming back. And that was, is, was true that it was starting to come back. Or, um, and so we were concerned about that. And I, I can remember uh, my wife was starting to notice, so she said, you know, her knees are kind of swollen. What, what's going on? And I said, I don't know. I don't know, you know, as a dad, you know, who knows? And so when we were with the orthopedic doctor, my wife said, can, can you look at her knees too? And he looked at her knees. He said, oh, he said, I'm not, he said her ankles. He said, I'm not touching her foot until you go to your doctor and start getting some tests. And so I thought, oh, no. This is the Friday before missions conference or... Yes, so we immediately went to our doctor and had, they had blood tests done, then went to our doctor. And she looked at me. She was an experienced doctor. I'm not sure why she did this other than God probably did it for me. Uh, but when my wife left the room to take him to the restroom, she looked at me. She said, don't tell your wife, but she said, your daughter might have cancer. I think she has cancer based on what I've seen at the blood test. Well, first of all, I wasn't going to not tell my wife that that's, that's just not how I operate. I talked to her about all those things and didn't keep it to myself. But I didn't tell it in front of Emma, but I remember telling Jill as we were trying to, I can't remember when I told her, but we went home and we were only 10 minutes away or eight, six minutes away from the doctor's office and we knew we were going to have to run more blood tests. And so I'm in this zone literally, and Emma was as white, ashen as could be, pale as could be, looked terrible. And I remember going home and I was, my in-laws were there helping us move in. It was a missions conference week. I was, I think that was Monday now. And so we were in the conference week. That's right, when we had the appointment and the blood test and all that. And so I was pretty wiped out anyway. I remember sitting up there on the bed in my, in my room, and I just took a towel and stuck it over my face and just wept. I thought of my daughter. I said, God, did you let her get cancer? And then I started saying this. I said, God, why didn't you just let me have the cancer? There's something sweet about all my kids, but little Emma has that little touch, you know, and uh, because of what she'd already been through. And she has a little mother's heart. You know, my little guys at home will run to Emma, you know, if they have a problem. If it's not mommy, it's Emma. And, uh, and so, 
you know, she was, I, I was just, I didn't want her to hear me cry. I didn't want my in-laws to hear me up there, but I was, I was losing it. And my wife came up and she said, she gave a very good statement to me. She said, God cares about her just as much as she cares about you. And yes, he could have touched you or me with something, but he's chosen to touch her because he's doing something very special with her. At that time, I still thought it was something more dangerous, like cancer, didn't know what. And so we're going to the doctor's office, and little Emma um, uh, was not feeling the best, and she had, you know, she was very pale and so on, but she all of a sudden started saying, I think we're heading to blood test, uh, and she started saying, Daddy, do you know what joy spells? I'm like, oh, God, come on now. And, uh, and not that I didn't want it, but just I'm thinking, you can pull on my heartstrings. That was my problem, right? Uh, and she said, Jesus, others, and you. And then she started singing Jesus and others. And Joe and I are both dying because we don't want her to see the tears. We didn't know what was going on, you know? Well, anyway, long story short, we found out that she has celiac disease, which is you can have absolutely no gluten because her, uh, she, that disease is pretty rough because it, the, the, what happens in the intestines. And then she also, we found out she had really bad arthritis. And every, every joint in her body was swollen. And the two things that were a little sobering at that time was that when she got her scope done at the hospital, the doctor said that was the worst in his 35 years of practicing, the worst gut he had ever seen. That's what my daughter had. And that's a lot of years of doing that. And then we go to the arthritis doctor. She says, wow, this is not good. And she was threatening to put us on medication that, you know, then you read the Journal Sentinel our, our articles and they're saying, you know, it's the highest killer of a, you know, kind of a medicine. And I'm thinking, no, we're not doing that. And, and so we were just going through all, and there were moments that I knew that I was still facing, thankfully I'd grown up in home when we faced something in one sense more severe, but so I had a sense of, it wasn't like this is the only trial I ever faced, but I had moments of thinking, Lord, is this really, <laughs> what are you doing here? You know, this is tough. I hate to see Emma suffering like this. By the way, the, the praise is, is that Emma's doing very well and uh, her counts are completely normal. Her arthritis is essentially not there. Part of the thing is, just a little note for you guys, not just through natural doctors and regular doctors and working together, uh, it's number one is prayer, but num number two is diet. She's not had any sugar for two years, no sugar, zero, none. Don't try to give her dessert, okay? It's not happening, okay? And uh, I honestly think her diet's made a huge difference. She's an autoimmune disease. She's the one, other, other than handling, she gets least sick in our home. The doctors are floored by that. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. So God's good. But I'm going to tell you what, that was tough. I mean, we had just moved that weekend. And now I'm finding out my daughter might have cancer. And then I find out she has celiac disease and arthritis. I'm thinking, what? Right? Where are you, Lord? What's going on? Whenever we think of our own little trials, though, we can't help but think of stories like Corey and Betsy Tenboom. I was, uh, they, they weren't at Auschwitz, but I went to a, exhibit in Kansas City at Union Station this Christmas. And this three-hour walkthrough, it's a really good exhibit, actually. They, oh, overall, it's well done. You have to navigate a few spots of it, but audio, they walk you through the whole thing. And you can see how, uh, this is what makes me sobered about our cult culture today, you can see how people can be so turned and how they can get to the point where they do something so wicked. Depravity of man is a pretty awful thing, but Corey and Betsy Tenboom were uh, arrived at Ravensbrück in that notorious Nazi death camp and nearly killed 100,000 women. The first night they spent in an open field 
hiding from the drizzle under a thin blanket. After three days sleeping out in the open, they were taken to intake bar barracks. They were supposed to be in a building designed for 400 people. There were 1,400 of them in there. After a month there, they were taken to a place called Barracks 28, which would be their last stop. The first night, what they would hear in that, in that room, that barrack, was the sound of fighting as it erupted, a burst of shouting, the sound of slaps and punches. This is women here. Sobbing and then the quiet, mournful tears, which everybody fell asleep. Every morning they woke up and they were starving and sore from the previous day. They all had to line up in the cold and work long, horrendous hours of labor that went far beyond their strength and ability. And yet, if you read their story, how many of you read uh, Betsy, Corey, Betsy, Timboom? Yeah, good. But if you read their story, you recognize that they purposely chose to focus on God's character, his strength, his power to just carry them through in those. It's a horrendous situation. We have never even seen anything close to that. And also because of their testimony, God gave them a powerful ministry with the other ladies there in the barrack. And they were many ladies that were just hours away from death. God allowed them to lead to Christ. Now, think about it. Do you think Corey Ten Boom thought that when she was in that Ravensburg prison that she would have the ministry we'd have later? God, if she had seen God the way she could have felt, she could have seen him as so far away and not, not, not caring and not taking care of her. Well, the fact was God had a great will through her situation that he accomplished. Here we have in Isaiah chapter 40, we have both, you, know, you have Judah here in Israel uh, verse 27 saying, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hidden from, hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Right, there's these question marks. Why, why are you saying this? Because they were questioning God. As you know, you have the fact here that the nation of Israel had already faced defeat and deportation at the hands of the Assyrians when this was written. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 39 that Jerusalem would be taken over by Babylon and the people would be taken from their land. So in each case, we find here that God was judging his people for their sin of turning away from him to other gods and affections. And what's sad is here, the nation of Israel had fallen into Satan's trap that he started at the Garden of Eden. And what did they say? Doubt. It was hath God said. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from, from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Look at verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Let me ask you a question. Do you at times find yourself facing doubts about God? First thing I'd like you to see is that point. Face your doubts about God. You may say, well, I don't really doubt God or anything. You do a lot more than you realize. That difficulty, just the simple difficulty of a school class you're not doing well in, you start to get frustrated and you question God and his goodness. Or maybe a financial trial or maybe a situation of relationship problem or maybe a marriage problem that your parents are struggling with or, or there's a, a hard thing going on in your church back home, a, a church problem going on, and you find yourself doubting the goodness of God and who he is. And, you, and it's important just right here as we see in verse 27 that we need to face our doubts about God. Does God know what's happening to me? It says, my way is hid from the Lord. This is that danger. That's the question of, does God even know? 
Does he even see what's happening to me? That's the phrase, my way is hid from the Lord. Why are you saying that is what this verse is saying. It's the danger of focus on yourself. Your eyes are on your own circumstances. You're not looking up. And by the way, when you look at your situation, you don't have the right focus, you're going to get discouraged. And you get really self-focused. You've heard me mention this, tease a few times about this in church. I've mentioned this several times because I live in the world of children's books. The one thing that I read often is Winnie the Pooh, The Hundred Acre Woods, right? And you guys just love Eeyore, right? Um, by the way, I do think, as I've said this before as well in public, but I do think independent Baptist churches and are, you know, got a lot of the characteristics of the Hundred Acre Woods, you know? You've got your happy-go-luckies and you've got your, uh, you know, you've got your poo, just, you know? And then you've got Eeyore, right? <clears throat> you also have Rabbit, by the way. There's, there's plenty of rabbits. Some of you haven't read that. If you don't know anything about Winnie the Pooh, you gotta look it up at least a little bit, the original. But the Eeyore mentality, where it's just constantly negative. You know, some of you actually, and I'm not thinking of anybody right now, so I'm just saying this as a blanket statement, but some of you actually do have more of a negative personality. You, you actually find yourself questioning and doubting, and you actually are, you say statements of unbelief to other people that can be discouraging. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Other question here that you find here, this, my judgment is passed over from my God, it says in verse 27 here. If the idea is, is God just in what he's doing to me? Is he good? It's interesting, in Jeremiah chapter 24, it says this, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have set out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans, and then get these next three words, for their good. Even in judgment, God is good. And that's what he's saying here. Okay? So, by the way, discipline's good. Embrace it. Embrace it. In this case, they were facing very difficult judgment and chastisement for their sin, and God says, I'm doing this for your good. Okay? Now, why do our, our life challenges come? We need to just step back a minute and, and realize, okay, why do these things happen to us? Well, first of all, we recognize that it comes because of our own sin. In fact, if you look at the context here, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 40, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. We know that Genesis 18.25 talks about how God is a just God, and he has to judge sin. And then when you're a Christian, we know Hebrews 12, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. It scourges every son whom he receiveth. So are there areas in your life that you know that you just are not listening to the voice of God? You're not, you're not walking in, 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 in victory. Well, you're going to, God loves you enough to, to, to get your attention, and sometimes he has to, he has to spank you, Okay. So sometimes the trials of life come because of that, because of our own sin. And so then we, we, we struggle with God, missing the point of what he's trying to do to get our attention. But it's not just your sin. Just because you have a negative circumstance. Maybe some of you took a step of faith, and you're about ready to this weekend, by the way, with faith promise, right? And uh, take a step of faith, and you say, I'm going to trust God financially. And then something comes, and you're thinking, what in the world? It may not be because of a simple choice. It actually might be a step of faith you took. The Bible says the trying of your faith, right? 
Okay, we've talked about that before, but God's, God lovingly actually gives you trials when you're walking by faith. Why? Because that will allow you to experience it more and more and more. I know I've given this story in here, so I won't give the whole thing, but I remember, and I've given this another uh, sermon, but I remember the uh, time that I thought I lost my computer and I didn't have a backup, and I had to face my doubts about God for about two and a half hours. It was agonizing. I was out souling, serving God, bad part of Milwaukee, which is increasing now, and uh, you, you get things stolen all the time. 30 cars a day stolen in our town now, 30 cars. We're, we have more cars stolen in Milwaukee than in Chicago. Just to encourage you all, thank you. Welcome to Milwaukee here. Uh, by the way, that means we have a community that needs Christ, so we have a mission to do. But anyway, the point is that I thought it was stolen there. We, were, we had gone souling. It was with 20 of us had gone out from our church. We are meeting at McDonald's there at 76, and good hope. And uh, having a great time of fellowship afterwards. And my house was just down, down the street, and so that's where we met because that was the neighborhood we were serving in, and I thought we had misplaced the computer. I, I was struggling because it had lots of work. It was my wife's computer, tons of pictures from the family, lots of work that she had done for our Bible quiz program and other things, and I was devastated. She was okay. I was not. I was mad. And I remember struggling with God, and God dealt with, with, with me And at midnight that night, got me to the point where I said to him with tears, I love you, God, and no matter what you allow in this situation, if we never find it again, you're good, period. That was a heart change. Whew. If you had heard me earlier, you wouldn't have been very impressed. But, you know, the Lord mercifully got a hold of my heart. He, by the way, allowed us to find it the next day in an embarrassingly close spot. It was sitting on the diaper changer. And anyway, it's a long story. <laughs> by the way, God did that to get a hold of this guy, though. Peel away layers of self. I remember knowing I needed to uh, be exercising and was really burdened to get an elliptical, but we were in a very tight financial place several years ago, and it's at least five or six years ago now, and I was... And there was one down in Kenosha. It was for a really a good price, and yet and it looked like it was in good shape. And my wife and I just looked at each other and said, we just can't do it. And I actually started to find myself struggling. I said, Lord, why am I in this place financially? I'm, I'm giving faithfully. I'm giving beyond uh, any expectation of yours. Uh, but I know you've led me to it, so I'm right in your will. And I said, God, my priorities are in line. I don't have any debt. I'm not living crazy. But Lord, you know what? And I just remember just struggling with God on that moment. And then the Lord just gave me peace. No, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. Well, anyway, that exact elliptical was found out by a family member that we wanted it. We didn't talk about it almost at all, but they had heard, 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 they had heard about it. And comes a pickup truck comes rolling in our home, and sitting on the back of it is that, that elliptical. What a blessing that was, the goodness of God. But, you know, I was tempted for a while to think, you know, I serve the Lord. I'm in ministry. I can't even get something I need like that. You know, have you ever thought those kind of thoughts? Maybe you haven't. Maybe I'm just the one that needs this message. I don't know. Did you know, though, that God is not as urgent about changing your circumstances as he is about changing you? Warren Wiersbe said, if you look at God through your circumstances, he will seem small and very far away. Think about that right now. If you're facing something that seems rough, God, if you're looking at God through that, He's going to seem way out there. But if by faith you look at your circumstances through God, he will draw very near and reveal his greatness to you. Big difference. So let's do that for a minute, and let's focus on God's everlasting character, because that's really amazing. The context of this, see, if you just read verses, I don't know, 3rd, 29, uh, even 28 through 31 on their own, they're tremendous. But the context here is powerful here in chapter 40. So we focus here on God's character. The first aspect of his character I want us to focus on is the fact that he's everlasting. 
says, hast thou not heard, hast thou not, I'm sorry, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. So he's everlasting. That means he's forever. He's always existed. He has no beginning and no end. Verses 6 through 8 in the same chapter say, The voice said, Cry, and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And uh, here we find here the beautiful picture of the fact that God's word is forever. He is the word, as we know in John chapter 1. And uh, it's a beautiful thing that God provides permanence through his word, which stands forever. Think about it. Grass can be destroyed. All right? Um, I remember sometimes in, we had a smaller yard there in Milwaukee. My kids would be trampling over a certain. My boys started playing soccer all, all the time. And then I kept my yard up pr pretty well. I wasn't, you know, super... But I sprayed it, and no dandelions. As you know, the yards around me would have thousands of dandelions. You know, mine would be the one that didn't. You know, so I was pretty careful. Uh, personally, sprayed it. I didn't pay Naturescape. Sorry, guys. I paid. I just went to Menards and got to spray. One of the people in my fellowship. I'll, I'll, I don't think you'll mind the story. Shimon uh, didn't. You know, new to the United States and got the the, the weed killer, and uh, he didn't know the difference between the weed killer and weed and grass. So he grabbed the weed and grass. So. Uh, Anyway, last summer was a rough one for him when he sprayed his yard. Uh, and uh, we've had some great laughs as, as a fellowship about that. His, his dear wife would remind him every day that, that the grass was dead. He said, I know, I'm going to change. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, uh, but he, uh, but, you know, I remember going to his house and could see the spots that had gotten killed. And I remember thinking, that's just, that's rough. And it happens, you know, with grass. It can be destroyed. The flower fadeth. You know that up here in the north, right? Flowers fade. They don't last very long. But did, you know, I got a question for you. Do, you. do you think you can trust the one who never had a beginning and never will have an ending? You're finite. He's not. He's everlasting. Then incomparable. First verse um, uh, 28 says, the everlasting God, and then we see the Lord. Look at verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with a span? And comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. And then look at, uh, I don't have time to read verses 15 to 25, but I'll explain a few things there. But first you find the illustration in verse 12, just, just describing the Lord. The waters, okay, all the waters of the world, of the earth, can literally fit in the hollow of his hand. Have you been out just on Lake Michigan? I mean, doesn't that look vast? Then you go to an ocean. Have any of you ever flown over an ocean? Like, I don't know, the Pacific? I've done that uh, once, twice, twice. Um, flown from Detroit all the way to Tokyo. It's a long flight. I have flown from Atlanta to Johannesburg, okay? When you make those flights, you're over the water for a long time. You'll, you see that little airplane, you know, I wouldn't watch anything else on the screen, so all I could stare at was the airplane moving, you know, <laughs> and watching the miles tick, right? So that's why I was focused on, you know, but just water. Well, all that water is just in the hollow of his hand, the picture of that. That's how little it is to him. Then we find here the heavens measured with the span of his hand. Think of how when you're up in the plane, how small everything looks down below. That's just, he measures that with the span of his hand. The earth's dust just fits in the measuring cup compared to him. The mountains and, and the hills, it says here, uh, he you know, weighs the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. I mean, 
It's just that small to God. It's just a small little thing. But if you ever get on top of Pikes Peak, did you ever do that with me, Micah, or did we ever get up there with you? I don't think we did. I've only done it three times out of the 16 years ago in Colorado for quizzing. And uh, we only got up to three times because of the snow. You have to hit it the right time in the winter. And uh, but when you get up there and you view, you look to the east and you see all the plains. You know, the America the Beautiful is written from there. So just think of the phrasing. But then you turn around, you see the purple mountain majesty. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. And, and mountains seem so vast. If you stand, I've never been to a place, like Colorado, you're all, all, all already a mile up. I've never really been to a place where it's dramatic as, I mean, it's dramatic in Colorado, but imagine even thousands of feet higher. Uh, but just you look up at that, you're just so overwhelmed. You know, I've even hiked mountains before. I won't tell you that story now. That was a disaster um, due to the uh, overzealous youth pastor we were with. It was snowing in June up there. And anyways, the ensemble, Barber Boys, uh, there's a lot of that to that story. It was unbelievable humor uh, and, uh, and frustration, <laughs> losing cell phones, the whole deal. It was, it was all happening on that time. But, you know, those mountains, those hills to us are vast. To God, they're nothing. Okay? Then you find here he compares himself to the idols of this world. It says, whom will you liken God, verse 18, or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth the graven image. The goldsmith spreadeth it, spreadeth it over with gold and casteth silver chains. And it talks about those who are poor. They just make it out of the wood. Well, look, today we may not have idols like that, but think about the idols that we put in our lives that really have no comparison to God. Entertainment. Things that seemingly matter so much to us. And you think about sports. I hope you've gotten a little bit of a distaste for it. I still follow it some. But it's just it, more and more the with how it's gotten so political and evil, even what's going on right now in China. And if you've heard any of the news, I've heard a few clips of the news, people there ignoring the atrocities in that country and, and, and almost laughing at that now. And you see how sports is tied into that. Think of all the things that we elevate to the point of, of God. And that's saying it's all nothing. Nothing can compare to him. No matter what man tries to do and how beautiful he tries to make an image, it doesn't even compare. And then we find here that God brings the princes of the earth to, to nothing. Look at verse uh, 23. And he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Boy, God can, can, rise up, can raise up and he can sure put down, can he? So then the question is, why do we have such a high view of ourselves? You know? Then he's the creator. I'm not, I don't have time to go through the rest of these. He's, he's the creator. He's omnipresent. Look at verse 28. You see these. Creator of the ends of the earth. He fainteth not. So the ends of, of the earth gives the idea of he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. Omnipotent, he fainteth not, neither is weary. It says he giveth power to the faint, to those who have no might. He increaseth strength. And then look, it says uh, he's omniscient. There is no searching of his understanding. Then it's not listed here in verses 28 29, but in verse um, 20, I'm sorry, yeah, in, in verse, let's see, it's verse 13 or 11, excuse me, it says, talks about how he'll feed his, his flock like a shepherd. He's gentle, too. Now, here's where I want to go with this. You need to recognize, you need to face your doubts about God, you need to focus on his character, but this is the third thing. If you're going to experience God's enablement when you're facing doubt, the third thing I want you to see is you need to transfer your inability for his ability. I love verses 30 and 31. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. First thing you have to do when you think about transferring your inability for his ability is you need to acknowledge that you have lack of strength, your lack of strength. 
There's something tempting about being a young person and still feeling like you can do it. You've got it together. You've got energy. You know, when you get my age, I'm turning 40 this year. I can't believe it. Brother Kennedy, can you believe it? Um, I was running around your house as, as a three and four-year-old, so uh, it's hard to believe. But point is, you know, I'm getting older, and I still have good energy. I feel good. But it's just different. You know, you get up, and you're like, oh, man, my knee. Um, this is no joke. I think I might have said this here before, but the night I got ordained, 2013, I was, the platform was carpet at the time, but it must have been the way I was kneeling, and the hands, you know, felt like it kept, you know. And when I got up, my knee has not been the same since. So the Lord touched me that night, I guess. Uh, but uh, I still, even with physical therapy, I just not the same. I kid you not, I'm not making it up. I don't know what happened to me that night. But, uh, but anyway, so it's just something about age. And I was in my 30s, so I guess it, it counts. Um, but there's something about when we're young and we feel strong and we're learning things and, you know, we've got it all together. But it says, even the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. Young men is the idea of well-trained, the finest young men around. Um, many of the finest, by the way, with the most potential have fallen. I hope you guys understand that with all the temp temptations today, especially with regards to impurity, the opportunity for Satan to get you and to get you to fall, no matter how quote-unquote strong you think you are, is very high. That means you need to be more on guard probably than any generation, because it's all right there. Ladies, too. Temptations to give your heart when you shouldn't give your heart. Temptations to do things and to, and to be involved in things that just are not, not helpful for you spiritually. They're right there. My dad could give me illustration after illustration. He was down in school down south, and, and how he had classmates, you know, the guy who was the, you know, the BMOC, you know what that means? Big man on campus, right? And, I mean, he was, like, top of the line, personality and everything. And he had all kinds of ability. Everybody loved his preaching and everything. The guy, I don't know what marriage he's on now, five, if he's even still alive. But there was another fellow who was very humble. He was a young man who was passionate about being pure, would even um, quit being a paper route guy because of a bad image he saw on that paper. He said, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be hurt. And he's still loving, the, loving Jesus to, to, today. I even talked to him on the phone a couple weeks ago. He called me, asked me about something. I thought, wow, what a difference. And he was a farm boy, kind of, you wouldn't have thought of him, he's quite an orator and a preacher today, but you wouldn't have thought of, of that all then, but he was a humble servant of God, and he didn't think he had it all together. So you need to acknowledge your lack of strength, and then, this is a big one, you know this, you hear that much more eloquent messages on this than I could ever even think of giving, but you need to value depending significant, or spending, excuse me, significant time with God. Because you know this, it says this, okay, so youth shall faint and be weary, Young men shall utterly fall. But it doesn't say, okay, that's the way it's going to be. You're all doomed for that. No. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The idea of wait is to hope, to look to God for everything. And it takes time to do that. What's the danger of our society today? You hear this often, but we want it delivered now, don't, don't we? I mean, I can't believe my wife does this for us. I can't believe how fast you can get stuff. I want it now. Okay, they'll give it to you now. Within a day, that day even sometimes with Amazon, right? It's crazy. So everything we can get now, and we want that kind of a relationship with God now. So why don't we take time with God? Why didn't some of you stop and take time with God this morning? You think you're okay? Or we just don't have time? 
Or maybe there's a sin issue in your heart that's keeping you from spending time with him. Let me encourage you with something. Give God an opportunity to show himself to you. I hope that's the case for all of you, but if it's not, let me challenge you with this again. David said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the, of, the, of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. So you need to value spending that time with God, waiting on him. But then you see here, it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall what? Shall renew their strength. The idea of renewing your strength, the word renew means to exchange to take off the old and put on the new. We exchange our weakness for his power, his ability. Of course, we know the verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And here's the beautiful thing. When you exchange your weakness, your inability for his strength. And by the way, how many of you think you actually have inability? You know, that's the temptation. We just feel like we're doing okay. And by the way, when you think you're standing, sometimes you really are walking with God and you're enjoying him and then there's that temptation for the motives to switch a little bit and you all of a sudden start feeling good about your, your, your walk and you're actually encouraged, but it goes from spiritual encouragement to almost pride. It's a tough, we're always having to face that, aren't we? All right? And so then what you can do is start feeling pretty satisfied. Man, I'm, I'm getting this Christian life thing down and take heed when you think you stand lest you fall. So what's the key then? Constantly waiting on God and remembering that you have complete inability, but with him, his strength can be yours every day. But then what will happen, though? What's the result? They shall mount up with wings as eagles. I think it's a powerful picture. The idea of an eagle is that an eagle is a bird that actually loves the storm. That's unusual. Birds, typically, you don't hear them in major storms all just flying around, right? They just, they would, most of them would get blown away. But an eagle actually is made for the storm. They're the only bird that way, really. When all other birds try to fly, or try to flee, excuse me, from the storm and hide from its fierceness, eagles fly into it. And they'll use the wind of the storm to rise higher in a matter of seconds. They use the pressure of the storm to glide higher without having to use their own energy. And they're able to do this because God's created them uniquely with an ability to lock their wings in a fixed position in the midst of the fierce storm winds. Guess what? God wants you in the fierce storm winds of trial to be able to have with his strength those wings locked and you can fly right into that trial. And the amazing thing is, is the eagle doesn't just fly like this, it soars above. And God allows you to soar like an eagle and actually be able to see what he's doing as you let him pull you up. Remember, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. God wants you to view the tumult of life above the fray. See, right now, a lot of you guys are in that, that windstorm. And you're just, all you can feel is the wind beating you around and you're wondering where the answer is. And God's saying, hey, you wait on me and you exchange your inability for my strength. I'm going to allow you like an eagle to rise above and see what I'm doing. But then the second thing we find here is we'll run and not be weary. The idea of running the race of life with strength. Of course, Philippians 3 talks about that. Press toward the mark. It's a race. But then, to me, the most, probably the most important one, the one that we sometimes pass over in is they shall walk and not faint. We, we, we know that we're supposed to walk in the spirit, right? That we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But one thing that we forget about is how important it is to walk. So many times believers want to have that wings as eagles moment. They want to have the running the race. And that all is part of our journey. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to separate them like one's better than the other. They're all part of the picture. But there's something about that person who's steadily walking with God. 
Every day, they're consistent, they're steady. If you keep walking and you keep walking and 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 keep walking, keep walking you're going to be far, far ahead spiritually than if you're the kind of person that fits and starts and backwards and forwards, but somebody's just steadily walking with God every day. In fact, Warren Wiersbe said, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. The greatest heroes of the faith are not always those who seem to be soaring. Often it is they who are patiently plodding. He says, as we walk with the Lord, he enables us to not only fly higher and run faster, but to walk longer. Then he said, blessed are the plotters, for they eventually arrive at their destination. I'm not talking about a plotting Christian life. You know, I'm talking about somebody who's genuinely walking with God and they're just continuing to move forward. Let me ask you this. Is verse 31 a verse that describes your experience? Can it be said of you, and I won't name names, but if I start to name you, could it be said of you that so-and-so waits upon the Lord? If people could see into your private life, would they be able to say, yes, that person waits on God. They're daily experiencing that renewing of their strength. They're exchanging their inability for his power, and they're mounting up with wings as eagles. Man, that guy's going through a trial, but he's got a spiritual perspective on it. Wow. What a blessing, and he's, he's keeping, he's running the race. He's not giving in. He's not quitting. He doesn't have an attitude, and he's walking steadily with God. Is that, is, that, is that a description of you today? Well, it can be because that's what God's provided for each one of us.